Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And then you got disappointment. These guys had a dream. I don't need to tell you about how many chapters and how many times we were going through this where the Jews at the time and some of the guys that are on his team were thinking that Jesus is now the Messiah who is going to set up the kingdom and all of a sudden he's going to make all things right and there's a group that's going to come against us and realize that, wait, he now says, where I'm going, you can't go. What I'm going to take, you can't take. And so are you leaving? What is this? I thought you were going to be king. You're not going to be king. So there's a disappointment. A dream is shattered. Now, I don't have the time to open up every application to that, but I think if you're engaged in this message in this sermon right now, there's enough of you that have had a dream in your life, something you were really hoping for, and that dream was shattered. Where did that go? All of us know in our current events that there was a man who burned down a house with a woman and a boy in that house. Without being too graphic on this thing, he then steals the daughter or the sister runs off up to Oregon and he's up there and then the father and the husband is pleading for his friend to release the daughter lost the house lost his wife lost his son all he has left is a daughter and who knows what that man might be doing all that being said if you were that man don't you think that possibly that the dream you had for your son or for your nuclear family or for whatever you had that there was more than one dream that could be shattered. You talk about a troubled heart, and that troubled heart is, what is she like when I meet her today on Sunday for the first time after this ordeal? So that's dramatic. I realize that, and I pray that none of you, nobody, I, nobody would ever have to go through that. I really mean that. But whatever dream that you might have that could be shattered, that's what these guys are experiencing. So we might look at the spiritual nature of all that's going on, but emotionally it was still the same thing. It was the fear of failure, confusion, disappointment. And then fear. What is going to happen now? And that just kind of is all over the place, that fear factor. So my question is, is uh, what strategy do we have to be able to address the fear when he says, do not let your heart be troubled? Okay, I don't want it to be troubled. I've got all of these issues that bring a troubled heart. So what's my strategy to conquer them? Let me speak in broad strokes here without being too specific. One way is we can ignore that we have this issue. In other words, we ignore it. Some people ignore it very easily. And what they do is they just pretend that it doesn't exist. Some people, they've got the troubled heart. They kind of just kind of get away from it for a little bit here. They almost think it's going to go away. And what happens with that issue that's bringing the troubled heart only, do you know the word, exacerbates, gets worse and worse and worse because they're not dealing with it. They've got a troubled heart because they've got a lump where they shouldn't have a lump, but they ignore this thing. And all of a sudden it turns into something that is horrible. And so they had a troubled heart. They try to ignore that it was happening. And bingo, it turned into something bad. Now, let me just flip it a little bit. And that is there are some that have a troubled heart. 
And as soon as they get a little bit of trouble, they want to shoot low, throw grenades, control everybody, and pounce on this thing to reduce their troubled heart. Is that the way we handle it? We're going to find out in Scripture if you're with us the next few weeks. Here's the second way that people handle and get their strategy going for this heart trouble they might have. They want to hide from it. Now, we can talk about those who hide themselves in a bottle or they hide themselves in a bag of pills or they want to smoke their problems away. Whatever that might be, they might end up in illicit sex. And I know I'm painting a very bleak picture because of the broader audience on radio and all this, but practically, let's talk about some what we think are acceptable ways to perhaps uh, hide from all of our troubles. We could plunge ourselves into work, so we're the first one there, the last one to leave. We take it home, take it with us on vacation. And I, listen, I know what that, I am a workaholic, and we were sharing with the team earlier why I tend to lean in that direction, and it's not always right. We can always make excuses for this, but there is a time that we have to set it aside and not hide and use other excuses that seem to be safe, and we're not dealing with our troubled heart. Another way we can do it is we can plunge ourselves into television and all we do is go after one channel, the next channel, the next channel, the next channel, buy TVs, buy cable, buy whatever we get to get even more channels and nothing ever satisfies us. And so we're locked into something because watch, a program starts with something nice, has a problem and it resolves it within an hour and we have the feeling of a resolution of something that was only manufactured on somebody's computer in their office somewhere and we think that's it. And we walk away with this momentary feeling of, ah, everything's okay. And we really haven't. All we've done is hid from it. So whatever you want to look at, whatever our escapism is, God says, no, don't run from it. He says, I don't want your heart to be troubled. Then he says, here's what you need to do. And he's going to give us some of those solutions. And then uh, I put a little thought in this, and I thought, you know, some people, you know how they get rid of heart trouble? They give that problem to somebody else. I don't mean the Lord. They dump it on their husband. They dump it on their wives. They dump it on their kids. They dump it on somebody else. And I guess... Um, I don't have a lot of personal angst, but when there's a problem, they dump it on the pastor. You know, whatever it might be. And we're okay. We, we need to help each other, share each other's burdens. We know all of this kind of stuff. But let's be careful that, um, one, we do care one another's burden, care for one another's burdens. But it also says every man has to also carry his own burden. And so sometimes with that troubled heart, we have to own it. We have to analyze it. Why is it? How did it come? What am I going to learn? What's the lessons I can have? How can you be glorified? How am I going to go to him? What do I need to do? And I need to go at it from his direction. And that's why I am so excited about what we're going to learn here in Scripture because Jesus doesn't only, doesn't only say, don't let your heart be troubled. He now says what we need to do. Now, some of this, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. You know some of this. So for this, as I go over this, it's not like, you mean you don't think I know this? Man, with a crowd our size here, the kind of people that I'm blessed with as our church, man, you could preach a lot of this. But there's always that time where Peter also says, I put you in remembrance of it. It's there, but it kind of slid to the back burner. I want you to own this because I don't want your heart to be troubled or don't let it keep on being troubled. And so I call John 14 the Psalm of the New Testament, Psalm 23 of the New Testament. Called upon to do a lot of funerals, and usually I give them Psalm 23 at the beginning of the funeral, and at the end of the funeral, I give them John 14. So it's the Psalm 23. If you don't know what it is, this afternoon, go read it. It's also a manual for stress management. Next week, when you're back, I want to share with you about counseling and the Word of God as it relates to helping people with a troubled heart. So while John 14 is a manual for a stressful heart, I want you to know it's not just one chapter and we're done with it. It's the entire Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, from index to maps. It's all in there for us. So it's a stress 
manual for us. And then lastly, we could call it the last will and testament. Now, when I say last will, I'm not talking so theologically, but it's kind of like the Lord is now using the word will. I began reading through this chapter, and some of you are going to do this because I just know you just, you just kind of fun. I read through here how many times the word will is found in the Gospel of John 14. And so I, I text my son in San Antonio, and I said, um, Son, would you do me a favor? Get out your Bible. He has a Bible like mine. He says, I want you to count all the time the word will is found there. And uh, according to his count, and I said, please be accurate because I'm going to preach on it. Uh, and so some of you real accurate, you know, nutsy people are going to now stop listening to count. But catch what I'm about to say. It's found 25 times. 25 times in one chapter. So it's kind of like, I will do this. And the implication is, and you will do this. Now, I'm giving you the overview. Like I said, this is the introduction. This is what everybody's going to miss next week that you got. And that is, he says, I'll do this, you do this. I love that because as strongly as I lean into the sovereignty of God and that he is in control of everything that I cannot control, the last part is important. Everything I cannot and should not control, he controls that. But there, are stuff that I, there is stuff that I should control. And so while he does his part, I need to do my part. And so while he is there for you, and I'm going to present him to you, you're going to, you're going to connect to Christ. At the same time, I want you to know there is a human responsibility. There's a human choice that we will do this. I love it because throughout Scripture, catch this, this is, this is important. He does his part. We do our part. We need to know him. And when we know him, that fuels our energy to do his will. And so that's why we teach on the deeper life so that you'll abide in him so you will then do what you're supposed to do. So the willing part isn't you doing this in the flesh. It's all doing it according to his power in his way because when you serve the Lord, he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So even dealing with your troubled heart, if you do it his way, his burden is easy and his yoke is light. I'm telling you, if, if it's hard for you, then you're not doing it God's way because even the solutions to the problems can become easy when we do it through Christ. But there is that human choice, a human will that we need to activate. So it's not just I need to know this. It's I need and I will do this. All right. <clears throat> I think that's enough for today for in introduction. Some of you said, oh, good, he's over. No, not, not, not quite yet. All right. I want to give you three points today. All right. I gave you the first point just a little bit in a cursory way, but I want to come back to it. When it says here, uh, do not let your heart be troubled, he then goes on to say, believe in God. Believe also in me. So believe in me as you do God. Now, uh, why that's important to this context is because they're now trying to grab a hold that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. Now, if you go back through Scripture, you're going to find that in, in the Gospel of John particularly, he is affirming his deity. Now, those of you that hang with this message, you're going to see over and over again, Jesus keeps on substantiating that he is God. Now look up here, everybody. This is critical. If you see Jesus as just a great starter of a religion, or if you see Jesus as a historical leader, but you don't know that he is God in the flesh, he is all God in the flesh, he is, he is all man God in the flesh, then you've missed what he's saying here. So that's why he says you believe in God. Now, who's he speaking to? Jewish people who are reared on the knowledge that there is a God. And if you go through the historical teachings of, of the Old Testament, you're going to find, for the most part, unless the Jews slipped into idolatry, most of them believed in a God. So that really wasn't their problem. Their real problem was believing that Jesus is God, stay with me now, but also trusting in Him. We can have an intellectual assent to the fact that He is God, but we haven't fully trusted in Him. Now, 
That's why in this passage, he says, you believe in God. He says, believe in me. Now, something else very interesting is that it's in the present tense, which means you believe in him, boom, one time, but present tense is you keep on believing in me. Just like you keep on believing in God, he says, I want you to keep on believing in me. Now, that being said, let me try to frame what faith and belief is. All right, when we say we believe, it actually means first a mental assent. You have to hear it, you have to believe it's true, and then you have to put your trust in it. Now, when he says, you like you believe in God, he says, I want you to believe in me. Here's what happens with the two phases of belief. Now, this is very critical. This will help you understand the eternal security of the believer just in this little phrase. I trust in Christ. First, I've got to believe He is God. That My only way to heaven is by faith in Him. It's not by my works. I know He is God. He'll forgive me of my sin. I believe that Jesus is who He claimed to be, and I'm trusting in Him for the full forgiveness of my sin. That's a one-time act of faith. I trust in Him. Now, what happens? The rest of the Scripture says that I am born again. Something happens supernaturally with me that I am fully born again, which means I cannot get unborn again, which means I, watch this, do not have to keep on believing in Him to get saved again and again and again. I do not need to keep on believing in Him to stay saved over and over again. Once I believed in Him, it's kind of like opened up at all that now I become His child. Now that's done. Now the rest of my walk with the Lord, I need to, present tense, keep on believing in Him. Not to keep my salvation, no, but to keep my relationship growing and intimate with the Lord. So I keep on trusting in Him. And so that's why in this section right here is so critical for you and me. We believe in God. Most people really do. But now do you really believe in Christ? Now, I don't want to split a hair, and I don't want to jam up your lingo, but um, it seems like more and more Christians, and even Christian or pastors and preachers and Bible teachers, they seem to be talking a lot about God. Oh, God did this for me today, and oh, man, isn't God good? And I realize that, and we realize how good God is, but you know what I'm finding? People today, Christians today, are less, are more and more using the name of Jesus Christ less and less. That's what I want to say. They don't say the Lord did this. It's always God did this. Now, I'm not trying to split the Trinity up. Don't, 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 don't go home with all of that and send me emails. But I'm saying I'm wondering if what's happening now is that we are subtly, still believe Jesus is God, but we are sliding back into it's all about God because it's safer in our culture and community to throw out God, but at the same time we hardly ever say Jesus Christ. I don't mean as a curse word. You know where I'm going. But have you found yourself saying, you know, the Lord did this for me today. There's always God that does. I don't want to split a hair. But I guess maybe because I'm out in the culture and I am speaking on behalf of the Bible and God, how many times they, they call me the man of the cloth. Will you do the invocation? How many invocations or benedictions or, or whatever, at universities and colleges, Pastor, we want you to do the prayer. That's great. I don't know why they do this, but they always wait to the last minute. And I'm there, and we're shaking hands, and we're sitting down now. I'm waiting for my turn, and the person who's invited me to come, they walk up to me and they say, Now, I want you to know that when you do this, don't use Jesus' name in your prayer. Now, what would you do, really, if you're standing there after you've been invited, your name is printed in the program, and you're to be the one to do a simple prayer, and you want to be you know, non-threatening anyone, you want to be culturally relevant, you want to do all the things necessary... And then they said, but in your prayer, you can't use the name of Jesus Christ. What would you do? No, what would you really do in that situation? Now, some of you are rough and tough, hard to diaper, and you'll say, 
Jesus' name from the very beginning and you'll give every name of Jesus and you'll preach through all of that. I know you're that way, okay? All right? Or will you talk about God and at the very end say, in his name, amen. You know, I don't know what you would do and I don't want to get you in a fight, but all I'm asking you to do this is let's be very, very careful that we don't always lock in on only God or mostly God and Jesus gets way off to the side when he says, you believe in God and he goes, you do what? But believe in me. And maybe we need to talk a little bit more about him and how important that is. Keep on believing in him. Now, if you don't mind, I've got to talk about the context. I think Jesus is, because he's so, uh, what do you call it, um, omniscient, he knows everything ahead of time before it ever happens. He knows that he's already said in chapter 13 that he's going to be here for a little while, then he's going to be gone, he's going to go someplace, they can't go yet, but they'll follow after. He's talking about the cross, he's going to die, he's going to be gone. And so what he's really saying, keep on believing in me, watch this, even when you can't see me. That's the key. Because it's easy to see somebody and touch somebody and smell their breath and you know he's alive and he's real and he's there, but once he's gone, he's gone. So there's that drifting thing going on. Now, here's something that's really spooky, but I hope this might help you a little bit. You that are in military and you go off and you have to separate from your, your one person, your, your mate. And uh, you are one flesh, but there is this drifting. So you try to stay as connected as possible and you set up all these every time a certain clock. When I hear a bell, I'll think you, I'll pray for you. And I, all the little gimmicks and things that you do in a good way to keep always thinking about the other person. And when you're apart, you think about them, you think about But in the heart of hearts, you still know you're not together. Because humanly speaking... You cannot be together because you're not God. Now watch this. When Jesus was here on this earth, he was bodily present. When he left this earth, he sent the Holy Spirit, which is the Godhead, in you and me. And so now we can have the intimacy with Christ in a unique way that even the disciples had been when he was there physically. That we can have with Christ, even though we don't see him bodily. That we could even not have with our own mate, no matter how close we were. Because we can't have that physical union. It's a spiritual thing between us and the Lord. And so all I would like to tell you is that there are times when the Lord is seeming very close to you and there's times when He's distanced from you. He never moved. Do I hear an amen on that? He has never moved. So whether you see Him, watch this, or whether you even feel Him, I want you to know He is comfort for the troubled heart and it's based on not whether or not you feel His presence at that moment that he is always there. So keep on believing him. When you see him, you believe him when you don't. Um, interestingly, here in Hawaii, we don't have a lot of fog. We might have fog, but we don't have fog. And if you've ever been in a part of the country like the Appalachians of the mountains of North Carolina or maybe California or maybe up in San Francisco and you're driving through fog, I drive differently through a fog. And you know why I drive differently? I'm more alert. I'm paying more attention. I'm more riveted. And Carol is talking more to me. Now, why do I slow down and do all of that? I can't even see the car in front of me. It's because you just kind of know it can be there. And so when you go through those foggy times of troubled hearts, I want you to slow down. I want you to grab your mind in your Bible. I want you to listen for the prompting of the Spirit as it would be in agreement with the Word. Because at those times, that's probably the greatest time for you to really get to know the Lord and to see Him to do a miracle because... You're just one heartbeat away from him doing something very special when you have that troubled heart because he is the God of all comfort. So believe in me as you do God. Number two, he says, I will come back and take you to be with me. I will come back 
and take you to be with me. Now this section is a little bit longer passage of scripture and the meat of what I want to say is in the first part of what I want to read but it kind of substantiates it and the rest of this passage, this section on I will come back and take you to be with me. Now, what I'd like you to do is I'm going through this. I want to kind of set this on the table first and here's what I'm setting on the table first. It's when we die, it's not to go to heaven. It's not I get a new body, no more pain. It's like I'm looking forward to Jesus coming back because everything's going to be better now. It, we, we miss it. Even in this context, the idea of this is that he's coming so that we will be with him. I'm with him. And then he goes on to say, we can't get to the Father but through him. So the idea is we're with him and he's with us and we're all going to the Father together. So it's a relationship thing. It's not a connection to rules and religions and rituals. It's not just so I go to a place in heaven and there's no, so to speak, harps and clouds and wings and halos and all that kind of stuff. It's so that we could be with him in heaven. Now some of you say, well, okay, I could stand that for an hour. I can put up even with the worship service for an hour. But more than that, I don't know if I can really do that. I know it's hard for us to fathom in our earthly, fleshly minds that we would want to glorify the Lord and sing praises to Him forever and ever. Amen. All of that. But I will tell you, when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new want to thing going on. And God will change you. I don't want to. I don't think so too. I really want to. Because that's all part of what heaven's like. Because you want to be with Him. Now keep that in mind as we go through this when He says, you want your troubled hearts relieved? I am going to help you with that because I'm going to come and I'm going to take you to be with me. Now stay with me. Stay with me. That now tells me that your problem may not go away. You may not be cured from cancer. Your, your investments may not go up. Your wayward child may not come back to you. Your relationship might not get better. All right? But what it is saying is no matter how bad this earth is, you're going to heaven. You have another place and it's going to be with Jesus. So that helps us now not to think that only when I don't have problems, everything is going to be okay. It tells me that he's with me and I will be with him and it's all about that next life when he comes for me. Keep that in mind, all right? Now let's go back to the passage. So now he says this in verse 2. In my father's house are many dwelling places. That word, my father's house, as soon as you read that, you think in terms of mansions or one big, huge What's this thing we've seen on HGTV? There's this, this woman who used to be married to this great producer and they're doing this series on her, on her house and her mansion. She built one in, I don't know, Beverly Hills and then she built one in, I don't know, California. Now she's building one out there in L.A. How many know what I'm talking, in New York? How many know what I'm talking about? I'm watching this lady, I, don't know if I forget her name, Spelling, I think her name is. And I'm watching all of this stuff here and I'm thinking, that is nothing like what heaven's going to be like. This house refers to the kingdom of God as he is the king. This house refers to paradise, as it is a beautiful place. This, this refers to a country, so to speak, that is very, very vast. This place is a place of great comfort for all of those people. So when you read the word house, I want you to think in terms of this hugeness that deals with where God is. It is his house. It is who he is. It's where he's at. All right, now that being said, then it says, in my father's house, there are many I guess you could call little houses or little dwelling places. Now, maybe a way to look at that is it's not going to be like you're going to a... Um, in, in Southern California, they used to build all these row houses. You see all these houses everywhere. It's not like that. It's like one house, and he keeps adding to that house rooms to that house. Some of you that have been in Pennsylvania, how many know how the Amish do that? They have this house, you get married, and dad adds another room for you and your family and another room for you and your family keep adding on. Here in Hawaii, they don't go out as much as they go up. If you know what I'm saying, say, uh-huh, 
Okay, so the idea then is God has this big expanse for us and he keeps adding all of this as all part of it for you and for me. Now, some of you are saying, there's no way he can fit it on. What is that going to be like? I wish I had time to preach it. Write it down. Revelation 21, it talks about it, the streets of gold, all the gates, all of that. It's 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long. So it's like one big cube. Now, don't think in terms of one big condominium, though, okay? It's just a big building out there, big expanse. It's talks about the new heaven. If you think about 1,500 miles, that's more than half the size of the United States of America putting all the believers of all times into this with all their special dwelling places. The kingdom of God is that all that part being there. And now, remember, it's 1,500 miles high. Now we can't wrap our head around that. That's too much to think in terms of that high. 1,500. It's hard enough to think of a mountain 15,000 feet high or 30,000 feet high. We're talking 1,500 miles high. So there's always enough there for any one of you. So no matter how bad you are, whatever you've done wrong, there's always room for one more in God's family and in heaven for you. So whatever you're going through right now, this is your hell. This is the worst it's going to get for you because you have heaven. If you haven't trusted Christ as Savior, then the very best you can make planet Earth, that's good for you because that's your heaven. This is as good as it's ever going to get for you because you have hell yet to go to. And I say that not despairingly. I say that in a loving, warning fashion. You don't have to go there. Heaven is waiting for you. Being with Him in His ever-present Life, existence is waiting for you when you trust Him. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.